Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Yeah, you did. You did. That's Carl. Carl's here. And uh, sadly, the photo turned out to be true. Last night, we lost one of the best, and that is Stuart Gordon. Most of y'all would know him as his horror, for his horror material, but good God, he did a lot more than that. As a matter of fact, he, the horror films he did was just like a piss drop in the bucket of all the stuff he did. Yeah, it's pretty amazing if you take a look at all of his his work and how much breadth, you know, from one genre to the next that he does. Uh, it, it's amazing. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, he really started... With uh, in the theater scene and ended there too. Mm-hmm. His first very, very much ever was the Organic Theater Company, which was founded in 1969. He had two plays before that, which was uh, the game show. And what did you think about that play once you read how it was? Well, well, what I was just about to say is he was very much part of the experimental theater uh, uh, explosion in the late 60s. And so you had a lot of these students coming out of uh, drama uh, uh, in, in college, and they would come and do these experimental plays. And there's a number of, uh, David Mamet is part of that, so is John Guare. Uh, but what he, what, what this one was, is basically, it was called a game show, and it was where they would have plants in the audience, and during this performance, they would walk the theater, 
and then uh, uh, basically, you know, humiliate and, 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 and beat and even rape people of the audience, which were plants, uh, and that is for you to act. And each of the performances ended with the audience writing and stopping the show. Now, one thing, if you do something like this, uh, good Lord, uh, you know, if you're going to destroy the theater, and, and I'm not saying they did, but God, uh, this this is something that wouldn't last long as far as a long-running uh, thing. But this this is very, very much experimental theater and performance art. Is how it's yeah, made. I think he said there was only like ten to fifteen performances of the play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't see how you could do more than that because the word would get out, and most people would not uh, 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 come and be a part of that unless they wanted that, which is scary. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, but then after that, the whole getting. That was more, that was a real 70s and late 60s thing uh, where the characters of the play would get down and confront the audience. Very confrontational theater. But after that, he did a telling of Peter Pan that was there that Carl's, once I described it to him, Carl's like, God damn, I wish I would have seen that. Well, you know, you know, the thing about it is, take a look. It's 1968. It's Chicago. What happened in 68 in Chicago? Do you, do you remember? Or do you know? Yeah, riots. Right, exactly. So you have all these riots going on in Chicago at the Democratic Convention. And and Stuart Gordon had been protesting against the war in Vietnam, got tear gassed by the Chicago police, and then he came up with this idea of making Peter Pan into a political cartoon, and Captain Hook became Mayor Daly, and and uh, they left all the buried dialogue intact, and when they went off to Neverland, they, they went and uh, had an acid trip. And uh, they were basically, uh, the story made national headlines uh, because he and, his, and Carolyn Purdy Gordon got arrested for obscenity. And so, so the charges were dropped in November of 68. But yeah, I mean, seriously, you know, again, you're talking performance art. You're talking theater as a, uh, um, yeah, as a, as a political act in this case. Well, the obscenity charges came from the fact that the acid trip they took was represented by bright-colored psychedelic lights uh, reflected off the bodies of ten naked women. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I and after don't have that, that. The, the play group that Gordon was working for was under strict scrutiny. That means that everything that he did, that they did and he did, was under a microscope, and he said, fuck that shit, and he started up the organic theater. Mm-hmm. His first production was a production of uh, 
Richard III, but harassment from the local officials of Madison caused the production to be moved to three different venues for closing. And I can understand that because I've seen, like, even the M. McKellen version of Richard III, which if you haven't seen it, it's goddamn good. Mm-hmm. They uh, transported, transposed it over into Nazi Germany, didn't they? Yep. That is yep. definitely one of Shakespeare's more metaphorical plays. True. Very true. And after no, that, and, and, he was invited to move to Chicago, and he did. Or they produced, well, he said the theater found a home in the Holy Covenant Church where they produced original adaptions of Animal Farm <coughs> and The Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And then when still when the, the guy who helped them get hooked up in Chicago still moved to Los Angeles invited Organic to produce at his Bali Politic Theater. And they stayed there three years where they produced Candidate. And then they produced Poe by playwright Stephen Worst and Warp. Have you, did you ever, yeah, you've heard of Warp before. Did you? But I, I've never, I've never seen it, okay? But I've heard of it, the trilogy, yeah. What did you uh, hear of first, Warp or Stuart Gordon? Actually, actually, Warp was the uh, I heard him beforehand, but it's not really Warp. We'll get to that in a moment. Where I first saw 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 uh, uh, credit of, of of his, but uh, later when I was back in Bradford in the nineties. Uh, uh, a couple people came up with uh, the comic book, and let me look at the comic book very briefly. Uh, and all I can tell you is I didn't really look at it that closely, but it looked like it was out there. That's about all I remember. Oh, yeah, honest. it was very much out there because I found the comic when I was a kid, about 84, 85, when the case first opened. And God, it was only 19 issues, but good God, was it good. And nice. The trilogy, which the first one made it to Broadway, was the first time he uh, worked with one of his early collaborators who he had met when they did a play of the sod, and that would be Tom Paul. Mm-hmm. No one knows who he is, do they, Carl? No, no one knows who Tom Tolls is. No, not at all. Never heard of him. <laughs> We're kidding. Nine percent of those listening would know him as uh, Otis from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Right. Sadly, he Fine died enough. pretty much pretty early after he broke out in there, didn't he? Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. He did how old he was, but he was only in his 30s, I think. Yeah. Warp was produced on Broadway in 73, and then he returned to Chicago and set up shop in an uptown whole house in Beacon Street. Tell me if you've heard of these three guys, these guys before. I'm sure you haven't. Uh, 
Meshach Taylor. You ever heard of him? Oh, yeah, I know who Meshach Taylor is. Dennis Franz. Oh, absolutely. And Joe Montagna. Yeah, I love Montagna. Love his work. The first and I know what play was, they were in, too. Uh, what? I know what play they were in. Yeah, the wonderful ice cream suit by Ray Bradbury. Right. <clears throat> and then they did Bloody Bass, A Tale of Piracy and Revenge by John Ostander, which he tried to do later as a movie, but it fell down. In 1974, this sounds like a dirty play, Carl. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. Sexual perversity in Chicago? David Mamet. David Mamet's yeah. first big hit. And let me tell you something. It's a hell of a play. I Seriously. I'm a big Mamet fan. Always have been. How did they fuck uh, up the movie so bad? Yeah, what was that? Uh, about oh, last night. I, I was saying all night, night long, but you're right. It's about last night. Yeah. But yep. that's what Emmett met his frequent early collaborator who's in all of his early movies. And that would be Joe and that's Joe Montaigne, who was in House of Games, uh, Homicide, and the one that me and Carl would drag you into a theater and tie you into a chair and tie your eyes open clockwork orange and force you to see even though it wouldn't be that much of a chore, right, Carl? Oh, I love it. I, I know exactly where you go. Go for it, Steven. Things change. And seriously, if you've not seen that movie, search it out. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, David Mamet uh, co-wrote it with Shel Silverstein. It is a wonderful movie. Absolutely wonderful. Go and see it. sweet, too, which a lot of people were shocked because Mamet was not known for his sweet plays. Well, you know what, Mamet, the story is that Mamet uh, knew that, that he didn't want to go dark with it, but he just felt uncomfortable that, and he knew Shell, and he brought <clears throat> Shell in, and Shell helped him form it and, and, and make it the movie that it is. And that's, yeah. uh, uh, so it's the combination of the two, the one darkness and the one more light. And uh, Even though Shell had a real dark streak, too. Yeah. And that same year, they embarked on their first European tour, playing in Amsterdam. But they were they were, went to Chicago. They produced a two-part adaption of Mark Sayer's uh Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and the next one would be a play that I think you would be interested to lit watch. Okay. He worked with Roald Dahl to present Switch Bitch. Oh, I'd love to see that shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell us what Switch Bitch was. I have no idea. <laughs> to be honest. It was so three... you go ahead. Okay. This is shocking that you don't know that. It was based on a book of adult short stories of Roald Dahl. 
four short stories originally published in Playboy between 65 and 74. They are linked by things of sex. It's about it's a four short stories that he did for Playboy adult sexual stories. Okay, I uh, I have read at least one or two of those. Can't remember titles, but I know I've read a couple of his his Playboy short stories. But yeah, I would definitely check that out. No question. And. Kurt Vonnegut Jr. is a Sirens of Titan. Nice. I'd see that, too. And in 1960-76, they created uh, Beecher Bone, Bleacher Bones. And that would be uh, Stuart Gordon and uh, Bamet. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, actually, I, I gave it to you, a posting of uh, the original uh, performance that was uh, recorded and, and aired on Chicago uh, um, public television. I watched about 15, 20 minutes of that today because I had never seen it previous to that. And it, it looks really, really good. And it has Dennis mm-hmm. Franz in it. Uh Okay. Joe Montana and Dennis Fran. Right. Other cast memories cast members throughout the years have been Dennis Farina, Gary Sandy, and George Went. Who will come back to again? Mm-hmm. Okay, television film. And the television okay, film was Okay, wait a second. Before you go, before you go, before you go, before you go, I need to uh-huh. add one more. Okay, and then it goes into television, trust me. So he did another play. Uh, I don't have the date on it, but it's called ER Emergency Room. And the reason I mention that is because it was adapted into a short-lived TV series, ER. This is not the one that everyone knows. This is the previous one, and guess what? It co-starred... uh, now George Clooney also. I, yeah, and this is with with Elliot Gould. Now this is the first thing I ever saw that I saw the name Stuart Gordon attached to, because yeah. it says based on a play by Stuart Gordon. And uh, the series didn't last long, but I remember watching it because I was I was a huge Elliot Gould fan, and still am, um, and it was really good. But I, I did want to make that that clear that uh, uh, this was a play he did before we we get into the films. Okay, so yeah. so well, there you you're go. Getting your what? Because he did a a, ver, a short version of his two hour huck, two evening Huckleberry Friends in Chicago. The production was recorded for a Chicago TV special. The cast included. John Hedwig and the Angry Inches creator John Cameron Mitchell as Huck, Tom Towles as Pap, and Meshach Taylor as Jim. Nice. An ensemble containing of Carolyn Purdy Gordon and other actors. And in 81, 
<laughs> they renovated the Buckingham Theater where it opened with uh, they worked with Mary Renault to adapt their book The King Must Die in Stage. And then it was followed by a musical adaption of William Kotwinkel's Dr. Rap by Julie Shaleen and Richard Fire. And then ER. Right. Okay, here's the production notable. It says, Sexual Perversion in Chicago, Cops by Terry Curtis Fox, starring Dennis Franz and Joe Montana, Feature Bums, uh, ER, by Zay Fran, Richard Pryor, Stuart Gordon, Gary, Gary Houston, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, Tom Towles. Sirens of the Titan. And after that, he got bit in the ass by the bug. He's like, I've done all these plays. I wonder if I can make a movie. <laughs> oh, boy, did he. Oh, good Lord, yes. Before we tell the movie, oh, boy, I did he. Story. It was... Uh, this movie was heavily promoted in Fangoria, and I had never seen anything like it before. So I basically spent the whole weekend rewinding and watching that whole movie over and over again, about 23 to 30 times. It, it, it It's wondrous. It seriously is one of the wonders of the world. And I'm not joking about that. Yeah, it's perverse. It's hilarious. Oh, God, it's funny. <laughs> and can I just say one, one line of dialogue? Yeah, Who's going to believe a talking head? Yeah, Who's going to believe a talking head? You, for, you left out the joke. Okay. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. Sideshow, right. <laughs> and that would be oh, the animator. And that that movie changed shit up. Carl was lucky enough to get to see it in the theaters. And I got to see it uncut in the theaters. Well, it never was released with an R. They knew that there was no way in fucking hell. Oh. That, you know, it's like, we're not going to get an R for this one. There's no freaking way. <laughs> so he decided to go all the freaking way with it, and we got a classic. And it pretty much grew his uh, core acting group of uh, there. And that's what he wanted to create after Reanimator, and it didn't work as well as he thought, and that he was going to have, uh, uh, what's his name who played, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Combs and, uh, the woman. Yeah, I can't think of her name right now, but I'll find it in a second. Oh. But yeah, and, and 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 but that film is just so important that that's that changed oh so much. Um, 
in terms of uh, comedy, uh, in terms of uh, um, horror films. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people don't don't really consider that a horror comedy, but in many ways it is. And, oh, and, and of course just, it was a comedy. You cannot watch that movie and laugh. I mean, with lines like, Your cat's dead. Not anymore. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> or that one scene that was a uh, improv- improvisation by Jeffrey Combs when he says, Look out! And then the guy who plays Dan just jumps out of his skin. After he fought, they fought the cat. Yep. That was an improv by Jeffrey Combs, and they kept that in the laugh in. <laughs> by the way, what? By the way, Barbara Crampton. Yeah, Barbara Crampton. He wanted to use them as his. Uh, you know, created a core group of actors like, in his version, Roger Corman did with Poe. He wanted to create his Lovecraft actors. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is when things get weird. One was filmed first of his next two films. The one that came out later was filmed first, but the one that was filmed last came out first. Mm-hmm. And that would be the one that came out, well, we'll leave that because we love it so much. From Beyond. i seen that in the R-rated cut and that was still fucking amazing. Well, listen, I'm going to say something. Barbara Crampton in a leather teddy is okay in my book. Oh, that is one of the kinkiest, perverse horror films there. I I can't believe what they got away with in the R-rated cut. True. Barbara Crampton masturbating while rubbing herself against a leather teddy. (laughs) Nice. All the... uh, S&M videos they showed to the doctor, which are not an unrated cut. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Well, again, you know, we talk about performance art, and we talk about him being experimental. Of course, a lot of that is pushing envelopes. And so, of course, yeah. in his early film, that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he was planning to do and what he did. And 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 so, if you've got a core of Performers that will go along with that, which he did, they do it, and it's not a problem. And so, so yeah, when you talk about the perversity in these first two films, they're there, man. No question about it. But you know who steals from beyond, and it is really, honestly, as much as I love Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, the best actor of the bunch. Okay. Ken Forey. Oh, yeah. Oh, without a he's doubt. Still, 
he's so likable and steals the film so much that when he dies, it's like the film dies. And what with the hairdo and his name, what movie ca- movie is the lead villain a throwback and a love note to? And what actor? We're talking from beyond? Yeah. The lead villain. I don't know I it's been so long since I've seen it. Uh, you better just tell me. Well, once I'll just tell you the character's name and you'll get it. Dr. Pretorius. Oh, for God's sake. That That is Ernest Theisger and, and um, the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Or is he the original? He even like, even has, looks, yeah, he got an actor that looks like Ernest Theisger. Nice. Nice. And then the next, From Beyond got a big release, but it was R-rated. And then there's this little film that just slid into the video stores. Not as, pretty much no fanfare at all, was there, for this one? No, no, I I ran across this on HBO or one of the pay channels, and I saw it with Stuart Gordon, and I said, okay. And I watched this movie... And I was enchanted. And there are many, many reasons for this. But in many ways, this is probably my favorite Stuart Gordon. There's three that I truly love, and this is one of them. And that will be 1987's Dolls, which is very hard to get that balance of the core and the innocent and the sweet. And this movie knocks it out of the fucking park. It's wonderful. And there are so many reasons for this, okay? Um, And one of them is the actors. I mean, one of the things I love about this movie is that he he went back and, and he pulled some old... So it's about a a uh, pair of older people, and these people get get uh, um, stranded, and they go to this house where they are, and they're doll makers. And um, he uh, he gets Guy Rolfe, and I'm trying to find out who the who the actress is. Hillary um, Mason. Hillary Mason. Mason was in Don't Look Now. Had a major role in Don't Don't Look Now. Guy Rolfe was Mr. Sardonicus. And so to see the two of them in this movie, I get, I, I, I was geeking the fuck out, man. And, and it's such a wonderful, wonderful film. Seriously. And this is the first, well, the second film, but the first really major role of Carolyn Purdy Gordon in this film. And yes. he's just excellent as the bitchy stepmom. Oh, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. And the other character I have to really – and this was written by Ed Naha, and Ed uh, has done some really good work too. But but the other the other person that we've got to come up with uh, is is um, uh, Stephen Lee. Stephen Lee plays 
the innocent adult in this. He plays Ralph. And he is really the, the, the character that you connect with as an audience member. And he's wonderful. I mean, this whole thing is, is, is kind of odd in, in many ways because it's very much a fable. Uh, uh, so it's aimed at kids, but it's too intense for kids at point, and yet it's right for them. And and you have to have that innocence in there and the horror, and uh, it's like and it's the all there. Grim fairy tales. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Keep your innocence, or else horrible things will happen. Yep, that's exactly it. The only thing that's a bad note, and that's something that uh, Gordon has said that uh, Rich, that. Charles Band insisted on was the two British girls. Right. Because their deaths are the only real on-screen violence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And after that becomes the movie that most people like. What? You're fucking kidding me. You I can't believe that shit. He wasn't part of that. And that would be Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Him and uh, his producer from his first three films, who we've had on the show before. Ryan Usna. Usna. Had set this up with Disney, and they got close to filming it, but then... Uh, uh, Stuart Gordon got sick from an allergy, and Yuzna uh, got sick of the politics, so they basically backed out and took executive producer and story by when the script was his, and Ed Naha got the, wrote the script and got the script credit for it. Right. And if you really look at it, you can see the Stuart Gordonness in it. Mm-hmm. More the Stuart Gordon of Dolls than Reanimator and From Beyond. Right. Which is why the first one is really aged good and the other ones, no. No. Because even though they don't get killed, he, you always get a sense of danger with the kids. Right. And then there's the two films that he did with uh, Full Moon. Well, two of the three. And 1990, that would be Robot Jocks. And that movie is fun. It's silly, too. That's another... Well, that's because it was made for 10 cents when he wanted to do a big budget movie. Mm-hmm. Imagine how that would have been—a big budget movie of just robots fighting each other like that. Well, that would be almost like Pacific Rim. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, doesn't Del Toro really give credit to? Oh, that absolutely. He, yeah, he said he took a lot of the Jaegers' movements and look from Robert Gordon, Stuart Gordon's Robot Jocks. Mm-hmm. Even though Stuart wanted to call it Robo Jocks, 
but mm-hmm. banned again. Mm-hmm. And next is the one that I think is one of his most interesting because of the political content in it, and that would be The Pit and the Pendulum. This is the one with Lance Her- Hendrickson, right? Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. It's it's not as good as, as um, the um, Vincent Price, but it's still pretty goddamn good. <laughs> Well, you know who, what movie he was more making it like. No, tell me. Who plays the drunk pope that uh, Torquemada, a.k.a. Lance Henriksen, breaks up in the wall? I forget. I mean, again, it's 20 years since I've seen Oliver this at least. Reed. Oliver Reed, that's right. Yeah, and his character is named... Go ahead. Rondier. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that... So, it was a love note to the devil, and it's got some great moments in it. Yep. And great acting all around. But the problem is, is that... Uh, and uh, Combs has said this. That the comedy, that his character and Tom Towles' character becoming the comedy characters with the way they ended up at the end really takes this power and the sting out of the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And one of the best moments in it, and it was taken from a real incident at a witch trial, is where, again, the girl from, the woman from uh, Don't Look Now. Hillary Mason. What? Hillary Mason. Yeah, Hillary Mason. Her character is about to set out to be born, but she gets a hold of a bag of gunpowder and eats half of it. Yep. So when she gets into the fire... Boom. Boom. And that actually happened. Yes, that's true. That is true. They they thought that they thought that the woman that they were taking out to be burned was crazy. She had like black over lips, and she just kept saying, "I've got a surprise for you." Woom! <laughs> nice. So, don't you agree that uh, Combs and Tom, that Tal's character really takes the sting out of the ending line? Which is, yeah, it uh, does. It does. That, that, what? Yeah, well, what I was going to say is the ending is one of the reasons I don't think it's as good as the as the uh, uh, Vincent Price version. But if they so, would have yeah. kept them serious throughout the movie, uh, Tiles let him go, and Tiles looks at him and said, you're letting them go? And Combs just looks at his book and goes, there'll be more. Yep. And I wouldn't con- I wouldn't compare it to uh the Pitney Pendulum and uh 
Vincent Price version, I would compare it more to The Witch Hunter General. Yeah. Which still which is isn't true. as good as, but it's very, 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 very good. Yes, it is. And then he made one of his most underrated films, which is a great science fiction action film, and that's Fortress. I agree. I agree. This is another one of his underrated that you need to see. And Christopher Lambert's really good in this, too. Yeah, Christopher Lambert. Uh, what's his name from RoboCop is fucking great as the performance oh, robot. Yeah. Is that Weller, I think? Yeah. No, not Weller. The bad guy, the guy that plays Clarence Boddicker. Oh, 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 yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Oh, he, he is great as the bad guy. Very good. Oh, oh definitely. Definitely. And next is a movie that in 1983 he didn't direct. He was going to, but they dropped out. And. What would I say if you had a movie written by Stuart Gordon, Nicholas St. John, Abel Ferrara? Yeah, okay. Wrote it. Ah, I think it was a little guy by the name of Larry Cohen, perhaps? Yeah, and Larry Cohen. You take a script like that, and you would expect it to be great. It was. Oh, God, yes, it was. And the most underrated version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers there fucking is. Period. It's so underrated. So underrated. And, and, And everyone takes the 1970s version as the version now. I grew up with the original with Kevin McCarthy, and I love that version. The 70s version is okay for me, but uh, it doesn't hold a candle to me to the 50s. But out of I would every hold version, give them up as the version. Right. But of all the four versions, and there's a fourth one in the 2000s, which we won't even mention the name of. No, they're not. Um, no, there's not. Yeah, okay. There isn't. Okay, there's only three versions. But out of all three versions... This version of Body Snackers has the most scary, spine-tingling moment of any of them. And you know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah, Meg Tilly's still in the whole fucking movie that they based the entire advertising around. Yeah. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to hide? And she does this completely nude. And it's like, you're not looking at her. Trust me, you want to. But but you're going, oh, shit. It's brilliant. That's one thing, that thing. They're not human, so the nudity doesn't matter to them. They don't have that human imbe- sense of embarrassment. Right, exactly. You know. Oh, it, so, it, it, it is a spine-tingling moment. And the ending, oh. which... which uh, comes directly from Cohen and nobody wanted to change is probably the most downbeat ending of all of them. Yeah. It's a great movie. It must be. And by the and way, we've got to give the... Uh, 
Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to give props to Forrest Whitaker in that too. Okay, that's it. Just all right. Okay. Go ahead. Last movie he directed for Charles Band. A very kinky and perverse little film, which is very good. Castle Freak. Talk about a fun movie. It's just fun. This this is just fun. If you want to hear the story about him and... uh, Band falling out. Listen to Sunday show, and that whole story is told there. Right, Carl? With Sam Irvin. Yes, it is. Yeah, Sam Irvin talks about it. No, I do. I told Sam Irvin. Oh, yeah, you do. Well, okay. <laughs> we talked about it. <laughs> and next is one of his wilder films. That's Space Truckers. That one's a wild film. Well, well, you're skipping one just briefly because he did co-write the script to the dentist with Brian Yuzna, who directed that film. Yeah, and I liked the dentist more than you did. I didn't like it. Uh, it just didn't work for me. Corbin Burns is fucking great in that movie. Yeah, Corbin Burnson is good in that. I'll, I'll give you that. And I told him that at a con, and he looked at me like I was an idiot and laughed at me. <laughs> well, whatever. Well, it was right after I asked him, said, what was it like to be able to work with the gloriousness of Jar Lansdale's dialogue? <laughs> and and he really laughed and had a big smile. <laughs> yeah. But Space Truckers okay. is, it's fun and very unique. You're never going to see a movie like that again, are you? <laughs> no. I'm not sure I uh, want to. The space Truckers are now Space and Square Pigs. So you got to give credit to Dennis Hopper in this. Dennis Hopper, at the very least, you know, jumped onto this insane premise and, like, went with it. He didn't care. Yeah, he's having a blast. There's oh, he is having a blast. There's and stuff where you can just tell he's just having a fucking fun. <laughs> yeah. Yep, agreed. There's this one and Riders on the Storm, which is on YouTube oh, and you need to fucking see. Agreed. Agreed. And this one, my dog got... I've seen this before, but I wouldn't... Well, no one knows what I know now, yeah, but... The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit. I mean, would you expect... I mean... uh, A movie with... uh, El Pachuco himself. John Leguizamo. Let me see who else stars in it. Edward James Almost, Joe Montaigne, Isa Morales, Sid Caesar. Yeah, this one I've never seen. I've never yeah. seen this. Yeah, Sid Caesar, Gregory Sierra. 
Nice. And it's fucking great. Oh, I'll have to see it. And it's a great adaption of the short story. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is, is Ray Bradbury. Yeah. And then he wrote Progeny, which is pretty good. Don't know that one. Even though it has Brad Dourif in it, I need to see it. But no, I don't know that one. It's 2001. I'm walking into Circuit City, and I'm looking through the horror section, and I look at this DVD, and there's this monster on the cover. I look up at the top, I've seen H.P. Lovecraft. Hmm, slightly interested. Look down a little more. Stuart Gordon. My mind, you don't know this movie. Yes, but it's H.P. Lovecraft and Stuart Gordon. Flying by, boom. <laughs> I didn't need to know anymore. I didn't look at the back. I didn't need to know anymore. I just seen H.P. Lovecraft, Stuart Gordon. Boing, sold. <laughs> yep. And that would be Dagon. How did you run into Dagon, Carl? I ran into Dagon also. Somebody had had gotten the the uh, uh, DVD of it, or, or yeah, I think it was DVD, and um, and they saw it and they gave it to me to borrow. At this point, I'm in Maryland, mm. uh, and so I put it on the the Blu-ray, uh, the, the DVD player I had at the time, and yeah, I, I, and of course I knew Stuart Gordon, and I knew his love of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, it's, it's really good. It's really good. It, the only thing that hampers it is the budget. You can tell yeah. it would have been better with a bigger budget, but still. Oh, God, yeah. Pretty goddamn good. But what this is, is his, uh, one of his big passion projects was H.P. Lovecraft's The Shadow Over, Over Innsmouth. And he couldn't get the, anyone to invest the amount of money he needed. Right. So he ended up taking elements of the Shadow Over Innsmouth and Dagon and putting it into a story, and God, is it good. It is great acting. It's got one of my favorite funny lines ever where where he's try, the Mexican guy's trying to be subtle. The monster, it get her. What? It take her. What? What? What what are you saying? That makes no sense. Where did it take her? Eat fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> and it just one of those where he was trying to be I understood what he said the first time, but they were just like dumb. Yeah. And you know who the role was written for, but uh 
he was busy on other projects and couldn't do the movie. Was that like Wasama? Je- Jeffrey Combs. Oh, was that Combs? Okay. Yeah, the main role was written for Jeffrey Combs. Oh, yeah, the main role was. I, I was thinking the Mexican guy, they wanted like Wasama. No, he was like in the cat. He was like a Goya winning actor over in Spain. They were lu- they were like dying, lucky to get him. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't think Dagon would have worked as good if they didn't, if they weren't working over in Spain at that time. Mhm. And it's good. You need to see it. And next is. His next three are odd little films, but I fucking love all three of them. Uh-huh, agreed. A lot of people don't like King of the Ants because they watch it and they were expecting some kind of weird horror film, which they tried to sell it at, and it's not. No. It's a drama. It's a noir. Yeah, it's a drama. It's in the war, yeah. What's about is this guy who kills this woman's husband. So the people that hired him, George Went, playing a magnificent scumbag in this one, tried to give him brain damage by bashing his head in with a golf club. And it doesn't work. They just create this monster. Mm-hmm. And it's a very twisted and dark noir. You should see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then he went out film-wise with two art films. Well, King and Ants can be an art film, too. Mm-hmm. First one will be 2005's Edmund, based on a David Mamet play and with, uh, what's his name from Fargo? Uh, Edward uh, Macy. Yeah, Ed Edward Macy. Yeah. And Edmund is a very... William H. Macy. William H. Macy. Yes. Uh, William F. Macy. Yeah. He plays a guy who just one day snaps and uh, goes nuts. It's like, it's sort of like David Mamet's White as Hair are going mock. A mock. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really dark. And it's based on this play, and, and uh, basically, uh, I, I'm just taking the plot here. So he's a he's a businessman who visits a tarot fortune teller. Fortune teller looks at cards with a shocked expression. You are not where you belong. Decides to make changes in his life by beginning to by leaving his wife, and it goes on from there. And it is something. And he does end up where he belongs at the end. Yes, he does. It's the only scene you're ever going to see William F. Macy and Tay Diggs have a love scene together. Yes. 
Yeah, it's something. It's something, that's for sure. And next, I'm going to let Carl take this because of how much he fucking loves this movie. Well, okay, so this is a movie called Stuck. It is based on an actual occurrence. And what the occurrence was is there's this nurse who's coming back from a night shift uh, and uh, runs over uh, this homeless guy that gets stuck in her windshield. And she doesn't, and he's still alive, but she doesn't take him to to the uh, uh, emergency room because she'll get fired. Uh, and so she lets him die. And that's what it's based on. And the film is just amazing. Um, one of my favorite actors these days is a guy by the name of Stephen Ray. Stephen Ray, he's all, he was in Breakfast with Pluto, but probably the one that you would remember him from is he was the uh, detective police guy in B for Vendetta. And and he just does a, a tremendous job in this. Mena Silvari, uh, uh also I'm really good. And, of course, I said this is the true story of the murder of Gregory Glenn Biggs. And um, it was actually adapted later uh, in Bollywood as Accident on Hill Road. But this one is just, it's, it, it's really dark. It's a comedy, but it's a really dark, satiric comedy. And it's so freaking good. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you what. Why Stephen Ray wasn't up for an Academy Award for this for Best Supporting, I'll never fucking know. Really. I don't know. Really. I don't either. But but I will tell you this. Out of all of Stuart Gordon's films, this one to me is the real hidden gem. You have not seen this make a point of it. It is a brilliant film. Seriously. And now we're getting into his TV stuff. This is weird. In 1979 and 2002, he directed and produced adaptions of Bleacher Bones. Yep. And then 1990, he did one that's not that good, but Anthony Perkins fucking great in it. And that's Daughters of Darkness, a vampire film he did for the USA Channel. Nice. It's not that good, but fucking Anthony Perkins tears it up. Well, it's Anthony Perkins, too. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And then he directed an episode of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Honey, Let's Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. And then he did two episodes of Masters of Horror. Which one of those I have to fight with people because they don't like it, and the second one everyone likes. Right. I don't know why. And people I agree. Don't like I agree with most people. I agree with most people on Dreams in the Witch House. I just think it why? misses the mark. Why? Because it just didn't feel right to me. There was something wrong in the adaptation. Uh, I wasn't taken in by by the story, even though I knew the story. 
Uh, it just didn't work for me. I don't. I really that, can't put my finger on it. I, I think maybe it, it was needed, uh, like uh, John Carpenter's body bags. Yeah. It needed an extra twenty or so minutes to. You know really what? I think you're right up. about that. I I think you're right about that. I think it, it, they couldn't adapt it in the time frame that they needed to. I think you're right about that, actually. Yeah, and this is another cross between Mutt. This is a cross between Dreams of the Witch House, which was first filmed as... Uh, t- tell me, because I don't remember. The Crimson Cult. Yeah, I, that's it right. It's right. of the Crimson okay. Altar. Right. Which isn't that good a movie. And no, then there's the horrible. Black Cat, which we'll come back to in a minute, but God, was Jeffrey Combs fucking good as uh, Edgar Allan Poe in this. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And really, then he really directed uh, Eater from Fear Itself, which I haven't seen none of Fear Itself because that was a shitty season. And really, in a lot of ways, that was season three of uh, of uh, uh, Masters, Masters of Horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's his uh, stage credits, the big ones. Uh, Beat Your Bums, we talked about Emergency Room. And here's one. Uh, he took the black cat and expanded it. Into a one-man play, which is Nevermore, an evening, an evening with Edgar Allan Poe, which had Jeffrey Combs as Edgar Allan Poe. Wonderful. That I've heard nothing but good things about. What about you? Oh, no, nothing but good things. I've not seen it, but but absolutely. And of course, Combs just loves it. You know. And I think to this day, it's, it's uh, you know, maybe right, not right now because of the uh, lockdown, but uh, that's been all over the world, that part yeah. with Combs. Mm-hmm. And next is one that come out of left field because he really wasn't expecting this, but it is a beautiful idea. And that's Reanimator the Musical, which Stuart Gordon directed and did the book for, and the music for. But going back to his days at the Organic Theater, you can see why he would do something like this. <laughs> well, okay, so, so, uh, okay. And so basically the music is by Mark Nutter, okay, and the lyrics, the music and lyrics by Mark Nutter. The book is by Stuart Gordon. And Dennis Paoli, who was his his co-writer of of uh, the original Reanimator, and the basis, of course, is the film. And um, just you know, they've they've had a couple of uh, Los Angeles productions, New York, and there's an Edinburgh. And um, music. I'm trying to get a list of the songs, but I know that one of the songs is. The disembodied head uh, saying how much he wants to have sex with the one character. Yeah. And I forget exactly how they do it, 
but the head's floating around, whether they do it with the special effects or, or if it's some sort of uh, theatrical uh, stuff. But, yeah, yeah, very cool. I say that would go back to his confrontational days in the, of uh, the organic oh, yeah. theater. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and of course, Speaking let's not forget... Last... You know, go ahead. Okay, I was just about to say, let's not forget something like Sweeney Todd, too, which, which you know, in the Grand Guignol Theater, which is all part of that also, because this is a very bloody play. And so don't if you're in the first two or three rows, you're going to get splashed. <laughs> yeah, there's Just a saying. place where they, they sell tickets to. It's called the Splatter Zone, where you're 100% yeah. guaranteed to get hit by gore if you sit there. Yeah, and if I were to go to one of these, yeah, that's where I would sit. Without Those a doubt. tickets are the ones that sell out the first. <laughs> more than likely. And more then than likely. His last production was a play called Taste. I'm not sure I want to see this. This is another one of his true crime movies. Mm -hmm. Based on the true story of these two German gay men, where one of them put an ad in in a singles magazine, gay singles magazine that said, I want a man to love, care, have sex to, and eat. So he finally finds a man who will let him do it. And that's where the story lies. Oh, good God. Yeah, no, I don't want to see that. No, sorry. Sorry, no, 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 no. No, thanks. Gordon, you probably kicked ass at it. It's probably less I'm not saying he doesn't, but that doesn't mean I would have watched other it. Based on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one other thing we need to mention about him is, is he also did a lot of producing special features for uh, uh, for DVD and Blu-rays. Yeah. And so he has a bunch of that stuff, too, of which one of them is one of your favorite films. Yeah, The Swimmer. Which mm-hmm. most people are like, well, why would Stuart Gordon Swimmer if you really look at his movies, especially Edmund? It really fits into The Swimmer's vibe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one thing I really wanted to bring out with this R.I.P. is that he wasn't just a horror director. And he wasn't a cult director either. He was just a fucking great director. Director. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. really, that's sort of an insult. They call him cult director, Stuart Gordon. I'm like, no, fuck you. Cult directors don't have successful Broadway plays. Cult directors don't have a fucking play group, you know. Yeah. Seriously, you know, um, just just wonderful stuff. Um, and uh, the other thing too, I, I was just looking at one other thing. 
But, uh, you know, he's in bunches of, of documentaries, too. He's in the Eli Ross History of Horror, which is which was on Shutter for a while. Um, he, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there that he actually is in uh, a documentary, so you might want to take a look at that. You could take a look at his IMDb, um, and and also there's a bunch of stuff on on YouTube. If you put in Stuart Gordon, you'll see a lot of these things. Uh, uh, he did a, a, at least two or three trailers from hell. Um, he did the, uh, uh, this, uh, this thing called the man who haunted himself, which is based on, uh, which is, uh, uh, an extra to that particular DVD that's out on, on, uh, on YouTube. And so, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of good stuff out there. You want to check them out. Great director. And if you can find them, Chief, the Warp, the 19-issue Warp comic series, and the Warp 1 special are fucking amazing. They are everything that is good about late 60s, 70s psychedelic sci-fi. Very cool. If I was going to label Stuart Gordon, I would call him one of the underground guys like uh, Crumb, Spain, and them that actually got to move into the mainstream. Right. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, and, And the other thing, you know, to anyone who really thinks about him being just a, a horror director, don't forget that his first, you know, his first two two credits was Bleacher Bubs, which was a play, and then of course, you know, ER, which was adapted from his uh, play, and that was a TV series. You know, a lot of people think of him just as horror, and that's and that's absolutely wrong. You know, well, seriously. Well, don't forget uh, there was a lawsuit that. Uh... Gordon and the original writer was involved in that was settled out of court when Michael Crichton's ER. Yeah, there was. Came on. Mm-hmm. There was. Yep. But yeah, what? It's this is a big, big loss. Not only yeah, I love well, horror, but those of us who love. Experimental theater, art, films. Because he stuck his toe in all that. Yeah. Well, you know, I woke up this morning, and it was a little after 7, and, and, and I did not see the news last night. And the first thing I saw is that he passed away. I'm like, oh, fuck, was my reaction. And, of course, then I, I, I sent it right to you, but you already knew. I had already known, I had already spread it to a lot of people. Most of the people that put it on Facebook that knew me, I spread it to. And I had this show already booked before Carl even woke up. He has a show tonight. And I'm like, fuck you, we're not going to let this one pass. (laughs) What did I say to you when you talked to me this morning? Yeah. What? I said, I'm with you. we got to fucking do this. No doubt. 
thank you. No the, doubt. The best of wishes to all of all of the, to his family and friends, but thank you, Stuart Gordon, for all of the greatness that you gave us. Seriously, you changed the pace of horror. You you, you changed so many things, so many lives, and just gave us some great work. And you know what? I don't think there's anything out there that isn't at least a solid film of his. I don't think he ever gave us anything truly bad. No. Seriously. So you know what that means? Anything with his name on it is worth watching. Anything. Yeah, it's like, so yeah, it's like he's one of the few sure things out there. Yeah, no doubt. Well, why and, do you and, think and, and, me, but, I bought it and you watched Dagon? Just you just seen H.P. Lovecraft, Stuart Gordon. Boom. Okay, sold. We don't need to know anymore. <laughs> so, if you were to recommend one or two of the the lesser known or or or, or your three favorite Stuart Gordons, go ahead. Uh, Dolls, Edmund, mm-hmm. and King of the Ants. Okay. Um, I would go along with Dolls. I would say Stuck. Okay. And and um, and I I would probably go ahead and 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 say you you got to see Reanimator. <laughs> That's yeah. all there is to it. If you haven't seen Reanimator, that that you need to see. There's just no doubt about it. But as far as underrated dolls and and stuck, I love stuck. It's a great fucking movie. Yeah. And before we go out with the tap dance and the sailing spiel, do you think that H.P. Lovecraft would have gone as mainstream as he is today if it wasn't for Stuart Gordon's uh, adaptions? Oh no, fucking way. No way. You know, and, and you know who else has said that? Richard Stanley. Of course, he he gave us the color out of space this year, or last year. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Well, yep. tonight, what are you doing over at the DL tonight? Mr. Okay, K. well, what we're doing is Adam has a nice little uh, uh, thing. So, you know, we're all stuck in quarantine. You know, we're all in our houses. What the hell are you doing, Stephen? What are you doing? You, you're watching thinking movies, maybe? You, you're reading a book? Uh, you know, twiddling your thumbs? Month, which we're getting, going to get into, but in giggling like a mad little banshee. <laughs> Well, what we're going to talk about tonight is how do we pass the time in a quarantine? So we have a list of movies. We'll be talking about books. I'm sure Adam will get into some gaming ideas. I'll I'll, I'll talk a little bit about music. But there's all sorts of things out there you can do and, and to keep the time. And so, yeah, that's what we're doing tonight on the DLN. So what are you and doing if you Friday? you have a special someone online or off, why ain't you fucking more? Yeah, yeah, or or you know, talk to people, call people, have conversations oh. on the phone. 
Seriously. That's stupid, Carl. Why would people have comfort? Oh, fuck. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think we're doing right now, you dumbass. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm being social. And who calls me every fucking day? Seriously. <laughs> well, just throwing shit against the wall so we can have this show planned. Figure out what we're doing. Absolutely. That's, we do that all the time, Speaking folks. Of, uh, Sunday we don't have any plans yet, but next month on the Late Night Movie Theater, it's going to be Criterion Month. Yes, yes, it sir. is. We're going to be picking two films each from the Criterion Channel, and I think Carl's already got his slam dunked. <laughs> I got, I got one of them slam dunked for sure. We are definitely two. doing that movie, and two. it's called Red Sun. Yeah, two. We're doing Red Sun. And the second one he's yeah. going to do is a Romantic Leaf based on uh, Jay Sebring, uh, John Peters. Embarrass other people, and that would be shampoo. Those are my two. Me, I was like, God damn, why is Carl so obsessed with shampoo? God damn, why the fuck is Carl? No, this is directed by, oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I know yeah, why. And I've got I one picked out, and Carl's okay. like, no. And that would be the gloriousness of. Jeff Goldblum is a douchebag in Thank God It's Friday. Oh, you're going to make me suffer, aren't you? You're going to so make me suffer. You're making me suffer. Uh, no. And it's okay. Yeah, you're, that, that, you'd like to do that. It's okay. Yeah. Listen, I survived Gotti. <laughs> <laughs> It could be worse Seriously, than I they could do uh, Haunting a Sharon Tate, but then again, yeah, this, I don't want to do that to you. No. But oh, but I, I will. I will, at the very least, when we get into, uh, thank God it's Friday, I'll be talking a lot about Robert Klein, who directed the movie, who's better known as a writer, and God knows. Talk about a perverse little writer. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about Robert Klein a lot. And thank God it's Friday another, is another movie that pisses on the disco scene rather than embraces Celebrates it. You know. Yeah. But tomorrow night, we're going to be doing a blue exploitation film with, from what Carl watched of it, I've seen this before, it has the best of the Bruce Lee imitators. But then, look at his pedigree. This guy had, was the guy that Bruce Lee fought at the first event of the dragon. Yep. And he was the guy who directed all of the fight scene, added fight scenes, and the scenes with the Bruce Lee lookalike in Game of Death. Did you know that? Yep. Yeah, I did know that. And that would be Sammo Hung, and we're going to be watching the 70s comedy kung fu classic, Enter the Fat Dragon. 
and it's fun. And and, and I'm a big Sam Hung fan. I, I I do like Sam Hung a lot. He's fun. So yeah, that's going to be tomorrow. We're doing that yeah. tomorrow. And me and Vicky Friday, what do you have? I don't know a day for it yet. We're going to be doing Forbidden Planet. I wish Carl could join us, but uh, I'm having to rent the movie myself. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't do it right now. Can't do it right Robe now. the robot. Mhm. Yes, but wonderful. And of course, it's based on my favorite Shakespeare play. Yeah. Not the best adaptation, but but a really good one. And the, and the two the that, that I'm deciding against for my other '70s film, Carl. Other yeah, yeah '70s Criterion film is either going to be Gordon Parks or Jack Hill, because both of those are very iconic. Oh, absolutely. That's a hell of a hard. And day. I'm okay with. I'm 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 okay with either one of those. I'm 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 just fine with that. Yeah, they're putting out a style of the 70s collection on Criterion. It's got uh, shampoo, uh, Annie Hall, uh, Foxy Brown, Shaft. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, and- if uh, I, I would also give a shout-out if it's still valuable, which I think it is, is the BBS collection, uh, which has Drive, he said, and a lot of stuff from the early uh, 70s and late 60s, which is a really good yeah. set, too. But the ones that are leaving pretty soon on the Criterion Channel, if you got her getting there, you need to watch real quick, is a Paul Schrader collection. Mishima is staying, but Hardcore is leaving soon, and so is uh, Taxi Driver. Right. Hardcore you need to see. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, goodbye. Thank you, Stuart Gordon. You will be missed. Absolutely. Rasquiakas and Pache, my friend. Good night, everyone. Good night, and good luck tonight. Thank you very, very much, Stephen. Appreciate it. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.
Vista, baby.